Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Rewatchability. It's the podcast where we took a look at movies and TV shows we haven't seen in a while and see how they hold up today. Today, right now, right now, when you're listening to this, uh, I'm J.M. McNabb, joined as always by... Oh, so specific. Uh, Blaine Waters. And... Robert Larone. And we have a special guest. It's our friend Johnny Walker's back. Hey, Johnny. Yeah! Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Okay. I mean, not really. <laughs> yeah. 2020, man, has been... Ooh. Good. Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us, John. It's yeah, a, we... it's a treat as always, even in these troubling times. You're a ray of sunshine for us. Oh, you go are. on, please. <laughs> we're we're doing this over Zoom, and your and your room is the only one with color in it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's yeah. Literally a ray of sunshine. Mine has I some bold. <laughs> I am in I am in the murder basement. I look like I'm hanging out with Buffalo Bill down here. Uh, That's very true. All we can see is rafters. We are an Entertainment One podcast, and we do have a very special episode. I know I say that all the time, and it's usually uh, a lie. Uh, but this time, I think we actually do have a special movie to talk about. It is the... What's come to be kind of a Christmas classic for some people, uh, Eyes Wide Shut, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is the 1999 Stanley Kubrick picture. I mean, this movie has been talked about a lot, but we asked Johnny to come on the show. We asked him to select a, a holiday film <laughs> for us to talk about. And this was your suggestion. So let's start with you, Johnny. When did you first see Eyes Wide Shut? Why did you suggest it for today? Uh, well, I mean... Just just to be clear, y'all have done a lot of holiday movies already, so I was attempting to find something that had not already... I told you anything you wanted, the sky's the limit, and you chose this one, so... But it's hard to think of a movie in which Christmas lights are a more constant presence than Mm -hmm. Eyes Wide Mm -hmm. Shut... Yeah, it occurred to me as a kind of a bit of an offbeat, a little bit of a Christmas adjacent pick. I'm trying to, I think the first time I actually, actually saw the movie was 
when I was in first year university and I downloaded it in residence off of the shared network that all of the students had. Ooh. And what like that Ooh. and I just remember seeing like Blade Runner and Eyes Wide Shut for the first time in that way, just like on my really crappy laptop in in my dorm room while my roommate was like practicing his nunchucks on the other side of the room as a kind of you know a cool adult thing to do i would have been totally aware of the movie before it was it came out in 99 we said mm-hmm. yeah so i yeah. i would have been just entering grade 9 when the movie came out in theaters i don't know if i would have like even are we like allowed to go see an R-rated movie if you're 14? You're not, right? I don't think I could have even seen this no, movie. No, no, In the theaters unless I'd like gone with my parents and it didn't really seem That would have like... been awkward. Yeah. <laughs> there, no, there's another way and I will tell you about it when it comes to my turn. <laughs> but, you know, I think that before I watched it all the way through, I certainly like, I was very aware of the marketing campaign which was very, I feel like, very omnipresent when it came out. The whole, just everything, the Tom and Nicole of the movie, the Kubrick's last hurrah of the movie, the extreme backlash against the movie. And then I think I'd seen bits and pieces of it on the Showcase Drambui review. <laughs> uh, and so I'd, there were certain scenes that I remember... I, I'd seen out of context and I was like, what is this movie? What's it all about? But it was, uh, yeah, it was first year university when I finally saw the whole thing all the way through. Mm-hmm. Now, now we come to you two, uh, you two guys. How, how many times have you seen the fifth element Blaine? <laughs> More than five. More than five. Okay. So you guys, you guys never saw this movie. Am I correct? You're correct. Yeah, I mean, I remember all of the the hype. I remember all of the... I, I remember seeing it, I guess, through the lens of Entertainment Tonight. <laughs> yeah. The sexiest lens. You know, there was the whole Tom and Nicole, they are an actual couple, and they are in this movie, so that should be hot. And the movie is supposed to be hot. Like, it's very, like, erotic and steamy. Baby did a bad, bad <laughs> Oh, my God. And, yeah, that song was, like... That's a sexy song. I don't know how Chris Isaac just writes these sexy songs. Just like, I don't know. It's weird. Very sexy dude. That's his whole. That's the only thing he has to do. <laughs> that's his job. Well, and he, wasn't he in Twin Peaks? <laughs> that's true. That he, sometimes he does. <laughs> you know, I remember speaking of Entertainment Tonight. I remember when that first teaser trailer hit that had like the you know a bit of nudity and everything and it had that song you know it's basically that scene from the movie right and no one knew anything about the mo- what the plot was or anything <laughs> and they so they tracked down chris isaac and got a comment from him and all he said was he said you know you got to be careful licensing your songs to movies because it could have like nudity or offensive content and if it has both those things you Here. say yes <laughs> <laughs> that's all he said that's uh, great uh, and that poster was everywhere, I feel. The purple poster mm. with Nicole looking yeah. in the mirror. I remember that. I remember that like at the video store. Right. Yeah. Very yeah. iconic. Right near yeah. the section with beads yeah. as a door. <laughs> where that poster was. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I've never seen this movie before. I know that it was like, you know, a, a risque movie. 
I knew that it was Stanley Kubrick. I had heard very mixed reviews. I'd I'd heard from uh, you know uh, uh, a friend that I trust very much that it was one of his favorite movies of all time, and then Jam, and then uh, it's not my favorite <laughs> okay. movie of all time. That would be ridiculous, <laughs> but it is. It is. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. True. Okay, and then okay. I've heard from other people that it's just like just skip it. You don't need to see it. There's there's been better movies. <laughs> to be fair, you watch a lot of garbage movies. Yeah. Yeah, but they were saying that to me knowing that I watched garbage. They're like, you should probably watch those movies. I'm just saying, you still could have shimmied this in there. I'm just saying. And so I was really interested to see it. Uh, yeah, and I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, so, J- JM, All right. Yeah. when was the first time you saw this movie? <laughs> well, I saw it when I came out because the other way to see R-rated movies was to sneak into oh, them. Oh, JM. You buy a ticket to another movie and then you go in. Oh, God, you were like Tom Cruise at that orgy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to say a password? Yeah, it was a password-based uh, Cineplex. <laughs> Sounds to me like Baby did a bad, bad thing. I did have a baby with me. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, no, it was... Uh, I was so hyped up for it, too, because, like... You know, I, I think those moments are meaningful. Like, when you're young and you get into a thing, whether it's like a band or a filmmaker or something that seems like it's of the distant past. And then they have a new thing come out that you can kind of be a part of. And for me, Eyes Wide Shut was was one of those things because it would have been like a year or two before that I'd gotten into Kubrick. I'd seen, you know, Clockwork Orange. And I think I'd seen 2001 already, but, you know, I rewatched it and really started to get into to all of the the Kubrick films and the you know understanding a bit more about about who he was and and uh, and his work. So having like his film coming out and having it be his last film, I was I had a minor uh, obsession with uh, with this movie coming out, which is not something I would have even remembered until a few months ago. And I was cleaning out my old room at my parents' house, and I found. Uh, uh, newspaper clippings from uh, this was before like the internet was what it is today. So like when there was an article about Eyes Wide Shut in the paper, I clipped it out and <laughs> I found all wow. of these newspaper clippings uh, about Eyes Wide Shut and a Venetian mask <laughs> and a Venetian, yeah and a threatening note from uh, what, Sydney Pollock. What did your parents think? Like were they like ah oh, because you were like you were young you were you were younger than 18 you know the the legal age of seeing this movie were they like this is this is going to change my son <laughs> like what, what were they what were their thoughts no i don't think so sex kind of- isn't really like that it's less orgies you know more one-on-one <laughs> yeah, i think yeah. for one thing i think my parents were probably more concerned with like violence uh, like they bought me the tape when right. it came out that year too, <laughs> so like I I don't think they care. And like you know, uh, let's put it on after dinner. <laughs> Give us the RoboCop. Have eyes wide shut. Yeah, and, and my dad was super into movies, so it's not like right. some weird hobby. He knew I was getting into movies, and the Kubrick was a huge figure, so it was understandable. And yeah, I loved it. And uh, I I think it's a movie. It's one of those movies, like a lot of Kubrick movies, that evolves over time. Partly because you age with it, and partly because. You know, I, I don't think I, you know, we'll get to your opinions of the movie as we go, but I think generally with Kubrick, and this also speaks to the reception the movie got when it was first released, I think his movies are meant to be 
seen more than once. I think, you know, certainly like when we talked about The Shining years ago, like that is a movie that oddly gets scarier the more you see it as opposed to, you know. Right. And I, I think, you know, I, I was listening to Joe Dante on his podcast the other day and he said uh, he phrased it as, you know, some movies don't always give up all their secrets on a first viewing. And uh, I think I think a lot of Kubrick movies are like that. So that being said, I was a fan. I've been a fan for years. I have a lot to say about this movie. I, I will say before we get into it, I've never really thought of it as a Christmas movie. And I know some people do. I don't know if they're just doing that to be kind of contrarians to like, you know, the sort of whole holiday vibe. But well, for one thing, I would never tell someone what is or isn't a Christmas movie. That's kind of a personal decision. But in terms of this rewatch, I was very much looking at it through the lens of could I rewatch this as a Christmas movie? Because that was never really a thing for me. So mm. that's where I was at uh, with this okay, rewatch. Okay, cool. Uh, I think it's a great retort to the next bro at a bar who tells you, like, well, actually, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, you <laughs> <Right>. know? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is like, it's yeah. It's as like much said, a Christmas movie as that. It's, it's certainly aesthetically, yeah. It's it's the most Christmas if you go by, like, oh, yeah. yeah, the lights and the sets. Yeah. Yeah, more so than, than I'm Die sorry Hard. to Though... be rude to Die Hard. I know where I am. I know. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah, you should tell me Plaza, son of a bitch. <laughs> just, just <laughs> okay, but I feel like Christmas is like a character almost in this. Like it sort of reflects or contrasts with the texture of what's happening, right? Yeah, it's not and just, it's like it's not incidental. Nick, you know, he knows. When you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. Just like the shadowy figures in that orgy. Yeah. Well, you know, I think there is a purpose to the Christmas lights and the Christmas trees and the Christmas decorations. I think we'll talk about it as we go along. But I will say, I think the big, like you almost feel it more than you like consciously think about it. But the big kind of revelation for me watching it now thinking about the Christmas stuff uh, is that you know, it's con- everywhere he goes. It's constantly Christmas, except for the orgy. Mm-hmm. The orgy mansion. <laughs> Can't we just hang some mistletoe? <laughs> <laughs> Put a little Bing Crosby on instead of the creepy synthesizer man. Uh, no, but I think that's very purposeful. Like it, it's even if you don't like register it on a conscious level, like it is a starkly different vibe when you get to that house because of the lack of Christmas mm-hmm. lights. It's literally every single place he goes, even when it makes no sense, there's Christmas <laughs> decorations in this movie. Okay, so <laughs> Rob, do you want to run down the plot of uh, Eyes Wide Shut? Being careful not to you know, tip off the Illuminati to anything we might be privy to or anything that will get us killed? You guys aren't in the Illuminati? Oh, shit, we shouldn't be doing this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to get killed or something. Okay. What's the other password, Rob? <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Shit. Okay, so the movie starts with Nicole Kidman's butt. And yeah. <laughs> I, this is a movie that stars Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman's butt, and then somewhere down the marquee, Nicole Kidman, I think, somewhere. Because there's, there's like a lot of Nicole Kidman's butt in this movie. Mm. I think. And and the butts of many other women with pretty much identical bodies. It's true, yeah. It's like Nicole Kidman and everybody else who auditioned for that role. (laughs) 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 But it's Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, this 
actual couple at the time playing this couple, the Harfords, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- what are their first names? Bill and Alice. Bill and Alice. Very, very nice American names. Dr. Bill. And they're getting... <laughs> they're getting ready, Dr. Bill. They're getting ready to go to a Christmas party because it is Christmas. And it's Sidney Pollock's Christmas party. It's nice of him to throw a Christmas party being a Jewish person. But <laughs> this is like one hell of a party. I mean, this isn't your t- typical like eggnog and a mistletoe and a little bit of whatever. But it's a crazy party. I mean, it's first of all, He's very rich, so it's huge. There's a lot of people there. It's very high class. Immediately, Tom Cruise, he sort of goes off and starts talking to two beautiful young women. And Nicole Kidman, she starts to talk to this older gentleman, this uh, sort of European Lothario. It's sort of like uh, Don Amici when he got into the cocoon pool. He's like... (laughs) He's got his mojo back, it seems like, for the night. He's probably like the test patient for Viagra or whatever. And they are just having like a very intimate time. He asks her to dance, and they do. And it's like, it's a very erotic dance. This isn't the way that we dance at the Much Music video dances, you know? (laughs) And he he keeps trying to seduce her, and she's not quite going along with it, but there's like a little bit of temptation there. And there's also the sense that maybe she's sort of doing this because Tom Cruise is flirting with these other two attractive women, maybe. You know why women used to get married, don't you? Why don't you tell me? It was the only way they could lose their virginity. And be free to do what they wanted with other men. The ones they really wanted. <laughs> Fascinating. But anyway, Tom Cruise, he has to go and deal with this medical situation because he is a doctor. And uh, Sidney Pollack, this woman that he was with, uh, has had some sort of reaction or overdose to some drugs and in the most beautiful bathroom you've ever seen in your life <laughs> it is really nice oh, yeah. it's a good bathroom if you're gonna yeah. od od in a bathroom like that wow absolutely yeah i mean you find a place and then that's yeah find get out your kit you know i i will say i i just want to point out i i think this is a very funny movie a lot of the time like it's very dark and it's very scary and explores a lot of heavy themes but i think it's often very funny and there's nothing funnier to me than Sidney pollock wearing no shirt but with the suspenders on (laughs) that was pretty good yeah (laughs) it's just suspenders are hilarious they really need to come back and i guess like back in the day people wore their clothes looser too so they sort of like just sort of hung on you anyway it's great Sidney pollock also he's best known as a director but as an actor he is he's great in this it's really nice to just see him perform so yeah though yeah it's it does suck that there's a woman overdosing because uh you know he's not taking care of her or whatever but anyway so all this stuff happens at the party and um then they go home and oh and he also meets his old friend from medical school nick nightingale uh great name (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he was going to be a lounge act. He couldn't help it with that name. 
Mom. Yeah, they were like, you're just not cut out for medical school. We're looking for people with doctor names like Price or There's or never Bill. been a Dr. Nightingale ever. So get out of here. A nurse? Yeah, great name for a nurse. Good name for a nurse. You can be a nurse. But so he, he's forced to become a jazz pianist. He... Uh, yeah, he has to he has to go back to jazz school mm. and learn to be a pianist. But he 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 seems to be having a good time, and he invites Tom Cruise to come see him play at his regular gig. The Coco Bongo Club. says, "Yeah, so that way he that says he's mask. T- sorry." What <laughs> <laughs> great shout out to the Coco Bongo Club. <laughs> Guys, help small that. businesses out. <laughs> yeah. Go support the Coco Bongo Club. The Coco Bongo is really struggling. That everyone is shit faced at this party. Mm-hmm. Everyone yeah. is so drunk, and there's the, all of yeah. these lingering shots of the most gorgeous, ridiculously overstocked bar with like every possible kind of liquor you've ever heard of for like a single event. Yeah. But no Bud Light. <laughs> it's also like everyone is talking so slow. Yeah. Because maybe the director gave them line readings slow Explain. i don't know why keep they're doing talking. that keep doing that we'll get the asmr audience <laughs> <laughs> i'll just like touch my microphone yeah anyway um yes yeah. nicole kidman it's her in particular she's doing like a, a a thing with her voice and it's hard to tell like whether she is performing for this guy for you know this septuagenarian or whether <laughs> <laughs> this is like <laughs> Her choice. <laughs> well, there's also I, I. One thing I noticed watching it this time, I don't know if I thought about this before, but like how uh, similar to The Shining this movie is in a lot of ways. Oh, totally. And oh, yeah. Th- this whole sequence I- felt like. Yeah, the ballroom stuff in that movie. Yeah, yeah. I, honest to God, had the same thought. I thought the exact same thing. I was like, this is like what one of those like overlook parties back in the day was all about, for sure. Yeah. Where's the dude in the bear costume? Actually, you know, this is, uh, I'm sure this is just a coincidence, but there was like one of the early versions of the outline for The Shining or something had a scene where there was an orgy, like a ghost orgy. <laughs> Man. Oh, man. Yeah. You got to get a towel for the ectoplasm, though. <laughs> That's why Kubrick got involved. That's every Kubrick movie had an orgy in it. Okay, but so the next night, after they go home, they are smoking a little bit of pot, and Nicole Kidman, I mean, they start to have this sort of fight where, like, they're sort of talking about whether or not Tom Cruise was worried that she would do something, and he says he's not because women aren't sort of like that, and he wouldn't do anything because he loves her, and she is kind of upset by this for some reason. His argument is quite weak. Yeah, it's a bit weak. And he's like, you smoke some bad pot, you know? You're getting too angry with your pot, which isn't a thing. (laughs) Her pot reaction is extreme. It's basically yeah. and makes me feel like that's not maybe the drug for Nicole. <laughs> she basically reacts like a like a nineteen thirties like hygiene film or something. <laughs> like, it's possible. It's possible that she's smoking a sativa and she should really be smoking an indica. Like I, I, it could be a simple matter of prescribing something different. That's what I'm thinking. There's a moment where she's doing this sort of little girl baby voice while talking about like someone getting their nipples tweaked that is just like it's highly unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's so weird. It's I mean, the opposite of ASMR. Her <laughs> performance even in this scene as well is like super strange and she is doing like a baby talk thing. And 
I thought it was like weird, but the other thing that it made me think of was something that Elizabeth Taylor does in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And it's like this it's like this game that she's playing. But it made me think that like this sort of like it's constructed very similar and it feels very much like, you know, one of those sort of Edward Albee type plays where right. like couples are bickering at each other. Yeah. Especially I, at that it goes part. goes to the nth degree so fast. And also yeah. she is so good in the scene, I think, because yes, it starts out very broad and theatrical, but like she is so captivating still. She just like holds your attention and then brings it to this like dark upsetting place and just like torpedoes all of Tom Cruise's <laughs> Tom Cruisiness. Yeah. I mean, the twist is really good where she starts talking about this time where she had desire for a man who was a naval man, a belly button guy, and he he made her feel so much in her loins that she would have given up everything, her life, her her child, her marriage with Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise is just watching this devastated. And yeah, it, I think it's a really good performance. If yeah. you men only knew. <laughs> I don't know yeah. about the performance, though. I just don't know if I like their performance. Like, I don't know, in this movie. It feels so like, oh, like they're trying to act so hard it it uh, maybe it's for a reason but i don't know what reason it's for well I, well I think it's very disarming like i think that there could have been a million versions of that scene that are like sort of like smoldery and flirty and you know they have that sort of like sexy couple interplay but i think that that is not necessarily like an interesting note at all. And yeah, I, like I think as Jam said, the contrast there is sort of, I think, interesting anyway. Even if I don't think, I don't like the earlier part of the performance, but I think once she starts talking about the Navy dude, then it's kind of, you know, she draws me in for sure. And okay. I, th- I think one thing you have to kind of lock into in this movie, otherwise you're not going to have a good time, is the dreaminess of it, is the heightened reality of it. Like this is not a movie that's supposed to take place in any kind of reality like it's literally based on a book called the translates as dream novel like it's about exploring you know components of your own mind and so everything's like a little heightened everything's like a little out of lockstep with the real world and i think all of the performances reflect that uh, and especially like kidman here like it's you know it's about it's you know not even necessarily like you know, representing, I mean, it's literally not representing something real. She's talking about like the, the infidelity of just an abstract thought she had once. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's all supposed to be, uh, very, uh, yeah, surreal. I, I, I mean, I don't know how to describe it, but, but then exactly, it kind of starts with like this, the, the minutia of like a life. It almost feels slice of life at the beginning where they're just like, Oh, we're going out to this party and they're talking to the babysitter. And it, you know, it, it, it feels very real then. And, I don't know. I just... I don't know if it does because they immediately go to the party and the party is very dreamlike. And that's I, where it goes crazy for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I think I I think you're supposed to have like a foundation of, you know, this couple being real. I think that's important to the story 
that we're going to tell. But I think that the story we're going to tell is a story about, you know, dream logic and like exploring the subconscious. I mean, this was based on a book that came out in the 20s by a guy who was like friends with Freud in Vienna. So it's, it's you know, right. it's or, it's a product of that time where people were starting to kind of take a look at dreams as this possible, you know, way to decode the human mind or your all these hidden thoughts. So like it it's kind of dated in a way, but I think it works in a modern context in a big way because uh you don't see a lot of movies trying to do that. You don't see a lot of movies playing in that arena. So uh yeah. Anyway, sorry, keep going. But so intentionally, Tom and Nicole, too, right? I mean, how can you fully uh, invest in the sort of the everyday, you know, I feel like there's something so Brechtian just in the casting there, where it's like, you can't watch this movie and not be aware that you're watching a movie about who were at the time the biggest stars in Hollywood. It's weird looking back on it now because obviously they're divorced and like he's become like (laughs) a bit of this weird punchline figure, but he wasn't then. And at the time it was like, you want to see this movie because these are the two biggest, sexiest stars in Hollywood and you want to see them fuck. And you see the Mm -hmm. two of them after the party kissing and he's kissing her and she looks in the mirror and she's like looking right at you, the audience looking at her being like, yeah, you're watching us all the time. You're watching us right now. And I'm watching you. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, and that's the image on the poster too. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's a really striking moment, I think. And, yeah. Yeah. And in terms of like the, yeah, the intimacy, like, that you get from having that couple. I think that's why I think they can go to these like big places in terms of the performance, because it feels so real. I think in part because they're good and partly because we know they're a real couple and partly because they can play that in ways that two actors that aren't married in real life wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. Like they actually slept on that set. They like lived there. (laughs) Oh, that's really weird. there. And did like Dianetics tests. <laughs> I do have some stuff to say about that later. <laughs> okay. But so at this point, Tom Cruise is called away to deal with a patient who has died. And he goes there and the woman tries to seduce him. Everybody is so horned up in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but he's, he's not having any of it. Uh, he, he denies her and uh, she's sad about that. But uh, after that, he and then goes... Greg walks in. From yeah, Tom and Greg. <laughs> oh yeah, Dharma, get Thomas off. Gibson. <laughs> wow. Oh man, what if he had called her Dharma, and uh, and you realize this whole movie was set in the Dharma and Greg verse? Yeah, it's just, you're so zany. Why are you so zany? I love Kubrick you. Loved Dharma and Greg. <laughs> true, it's true. But he then he goes to visit a prostitute because uh, yeah. And uh, and it's he, the girl from Hocus Pocus, is it? Yeah, yeah. it's Allison. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> playing the same character, right? Yeah. <laughs> she now goes by Domino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, you know, th- he's about to do the thing that you do when you hire a prostitute and sex uh, worker, or a sex worker. Sex worker. And it's not uh, 1999 anymore. <laughs> His wife calls, and uh, he loses his boner. So <laughs> he pays her because that's the proper thing to do. 
you know, that's what a, a gentleman guy. does. He's, yeah. a, he's a gentleman. But, uh, yeah, and then he doesn't have sex with her. And then he leaves, and he goes and sees his friend Nick at the jazz club, watches some jazz. He, he doesn't have to watch much jazz. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> yeah, because that's pretty much the end of the set. But he talks to Nick Nightingale. And he's like, actually, I got another gig downtown later on tonight. But get this. It doesn't start till 2 o'clock. <gasps> I also love, because uh, he's in this scene, he drops the bit that he's from uh, Seattle. And he's like, you got to go where the work is. It's like, what? You flew across the country to like play in this dingy club for eight people? Like, How much could that possibly? <laughs> that wouldn't cover There's your clubs flight. in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> There's a music scene in Seattle. No one's ever heard of a musician uh, from Seattle. He, he's tired of doing jazz covers of grunge. Have you not heard the theme song to <laughs> Frasier? Yeah, yeah. But so he, well, he's talking to Tom Cruise. While Tom Cruise is talking to Nick Nightingale, Nick gets this call, which is going to tell him the location of this very secret party and the secret password, which he writes down on a secret on a piece of paper, which is not so secret. And Tom Cruise reads it because reading upside down is not a difficult thing. And the password is Fidelio. And he sort of strong arms his friend into telling him where the party is. And he says he'll arrive separately. And his friend says, you can't, it's going to be, you know, it's not even worth it. You need to go get a costume first. So Tom Cruise has to go get a costume. And he goes to the costume shop. And that's a whole to do. And there's like this scene yeah. with the shopkeeper's daughter. It's Lily oh Sobieski. Yeah. Yeah. The bad guy from The Saints. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You remember it? No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This movie exists in so many different universes. It's, it's crazy how he brought them all together for this one movie. Kubrick loved all those things, and then he just... That's <laughs> what he did. But, so he gets the costume, he gets the cloak, he gets the mask, he gets the tuxedo. He's dressed up like tuxedo mask. But he goes to the party, and he gives the password... Fidelio, and they let him inside. And, you know, it seems to be, I mean, it's like an orgy, but uh, I don't know. It's kind of like a very vanilla, boring orgy. I'm like, you know, there's a bunch of models. It's basically Everybody... Sleep No More. It's Sleep but No More, but that, I mean, that was that's what it <laughs> came out after Eyes Wide Shut, right? Like, that must have been inspired by Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, yeah. True. Must have been. True. Mm -hmm. But uh, he sort of participates, not participates, he gets sort of shown around because there's like, I don't know, it's like a, they do like a a stroll with the naked women. All the women are just wearing these like G string things, and all the men, I assume they're all men, are wearing full on cloaks and tuxedos. So it seems very one sided. And (laughs) I mean, it does feel like an art installation. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It should, feels like there should be a corner with like, you know, inexpensive wine and Dixie cups. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and he gets shown around the place, but one of the women in a particularly, you know, big mask says that he isn't supposed to be there, and everybody knows it, and it's very dangerous, and he should leave. But Tom Cruise follows his boner, and he he doesn't leave, and he keeps going, and, you know, they see some more sex things. There's some pretty, like, you know, 
acrobatic sex happening. Like, it seems like it's more Cirque than sex, you know? Well, you know, they hired those extras that were doing, like, the sexual positions were uh, were dancers. That Yeah, that makes a lot of so sense. So they, like, worked hard to choreograph uh, all that stuff. Yeah. But he gets to this other point, and they ask him for the password. And he says, Fidelio. And then they're like, uh-uh. There's a second password. And he goes, Nightingale. Would you like to reset your password? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, actually, wait, before we get to this part, because this is a big part, I, I do want to ask you quickly which version of the orgy you watched, because That's this important. was a big yeah. deal when it came out. Yeah. Did you see the ones with the CGI people blocking the genitals? I don't think or so. did you watch the uncut version? I feel like I saw genitals. <laughs> I I heard about the CGI people. I wanted to see the CGI people, but I think we saw like uh, maybe they were blocked a little bit. But I watched it on Crave, and definitely like every single time there was a vigorous sex scene, there was like an awkward green screened in person in a black robe, like yeah. okay, very clearly so blocking I- it. I watched it on Crave too. I, I have it on DVD. So like what I'm used to is the uncut version that was released in Europe. But I'm actually glad that I watched it on Crave because I was just too lazy to hook up the DVD player. Because, uh, yeah, because I hadn't seen that like since the 90s probably. And uh, the yeah, it's it's terrible. It's <laughs> I don't know why that's the version on Crave. But like, yeah, basically after Kubrick died, they had uh, the MPAA said it was going to be rated NC-17 because of those orgy scenes. And the kind of compromise Weird. they came up with was to censor it by CGIing in these people, just kind of blocking your view. Uh, I remember Ebert at the time referred to it as like the Austin Powers <laughs> thing because they're just like conveniently placed to, uh, <laughs> to block out uh, some of the the uh uh the uh that's hilarious they don't even really block anything you could you couldn't really see it but you could see a bit more of like the the thrusting i guess i don't know you guys watched it honestly by that point like nudity had been totally de-eroticized for me you know so they could have totally had the genitals and you know it wouldn't even been noticed because there's just so much nudity in this movie you're like, yeah, you might be turned on for like the first five minutes, but you can't. I can't sustain that sort of. Not me. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's supposed to be necessarily Jesus. like an erotic scene. I think that's partly why people, you know, didn't people. Yeah, like people were sold on this movie. It's like this is the movie where Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman fuck, and they just got like like the scene with the most sex in it is like a horror movie. Like, yeah. It's not, yeah. Pleasant. And there's like so and, and, much tension in the movie of this like promise of sex that's never delivered that like mm. I think you kind of need to get a real weird eyeful in this sequence as a as even a kind of like an upsetting release to not get it is mm-hmm. just like extremely frustrating mm-hmm. even though it's not really cinematic alive. blue balls yeah <laughs> that's the other reason why I think this movie is really funny it's just like it's funny to me that it's they cast like one of the biggest like sex symbols of the nineties in this sex filled movie and every time he's about to have sex with someone, like the phone rings or something. <laughs> like again, it's it's Damn dream it. logic. Like it's very dreamlike, but it's also just absurd and uh, and comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well so what happens is they find him out and this woman she ends up sort of sacrificing herself for him because they are going to murder his ass because 
I, I guess you just don't come uninvited to an orgy. It's it's bad form. It's not cool. Even though everybody's wearing masks and cloaks, so it's not like you can say, hey, I saw Tom there, you know? I mean, everyone can say they saw Tom there because he has to take off his mask, but any other Toms, they're fine. Tom Hanks was there. No one knows. Tom Hanks was there. Yeah. He, he, That's how he, he got COVID. <laughs> He wasn't wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this movie is very pro. Uh, you know, it's a good movie to watch during COVID because yeah, everyone is wearing masks. And uh, what yeah. I found funny was that they would like kiss each other with the masks on, and then there's a lot of scenes where like this guy you got to do that these is, days is between this woman's legs, like obviously giving her kind of lingus, but he has the mask on. So I was, I'm just like, well, what? Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, but like, sometimes the mask has a little hole in the mouth. Ma- anyway. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could have been a Gene Simmons mask. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, I would have liked just to see like what like all the, they've all got these kind of like artful like old timey Harlequin mask. It would have been funny if there's just like one Nixon mask or <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah. It's like why is everyone going in the room with Pinocchio mask over there? Like, oh, anyway, <laughs> it's the only one the store much. had. <laughs> it's like a Don Post Darth Vader mask. <laughs> But then, so, yeah, he's allowed to go free, and it's sort of fine, but he goes, and then the next day, he wants to find out what happened. So he starts sort of investigating. He tries to find Nick Nightingale, but Nick Nightingale has left town all of a sudden. He's gone back to where is Alan Cumming. Alan Cumming, Oh, yeah, my God. I, he's, he's the best part of this movie for me. I loved that character. I loved him. And it's a really good performance by him, and he's great in everything, but he really nailed it in this. Has he got yeah. another person who wants to fuck Tom Cruise but won't? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He came in this morning about 4.30 a.m. with two men. Big guys. I mean, they were very well dressed and very well spoken but they weren't the kind of people you'd like to fool around with if you know what i mean <laughs> anyways um i noticed mr nightingale had a bruise on his cheek and um to be perfectly honest i also thought he looked a little scared yeah that's the thing i remember people saying at the time too like it's that's adds to like the weird tone of the movie it's like Every almost every single character Tom Cruise meets relates to him sexually. Even like the like hooligans on the street who like harass him. Oh yeah, oh like, yeah. Like, they call him like gay and stuff. Yeah. They're like gay bashing, but then they're also like, "What you want to fuck me?" It's like, wait, that's a concern. But yeah, Alan Cumming is so great. I watched. Uh, he introduced the movie at TIFF a few years ago. Nice uh, when they had the Kubrick exhibit and. Uh, his intro is online, so I watched it today, and it was uh, it was very funny. You interviewed I him, right, Johnny? Watch it. I did. I interviewed him for Extra several years ago. Did, he, he, did was... he talk about this movie at all? Um, I think we talked kind of generally about what a varied film career he has had, and what yeah. a mix of high and low brow, of which this is a great example low of something both. that is both. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's cool. Amazing. Um, yeah, and he also goes to try to see the prostitute that he almost had sex with, but she's not there. 
Oh, and he also he finds out he finds he sees in the newspaper that the woman that he saved from overdosing has has died and so he tries to go and see her um and he does see her in the morgue and uh she's very naked and uh he almost has a uh Molly Parker from Kissed moment <laughs> yeah. I, I love that the orderly is standing like two feet from him and he's and he's just watching Tom Cruise slowly lean down to kiss this dead woman. And I'm Oh, just this like, isn't the first time he's taken a bribe. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> well, I remember that was one of the like before people knew what this movie was about, and there was maybe just that teaser trailer or like some some onset leaks like one of the things was like tom cruise and nicole kidman are having sex there's an orgy there's necrophilia <laughs> like, and it's really hey. like a pretty innocuous scene somebody say necrophilia who's <laughs> that is that molly parker <laughs> it is she has a low voice <laughs> you've been smoking a lot molly parker you've been smoking a lot that's all there is to do in deadwood the show she's in <laughs> Um, and he he also tells Nicole Kidman about everything that happened during his uh, crazy night, his dark night of the soul. And well, that's at the end, at the very. Oh end. yeah. Okay. I mean, okay, but okay, more stuff happens. Um, yeah. And he he, he goes to see Sidney Pollack. Well, he yeah. goes first. He goes to like he goes to the, back to the place where the party was, and they give him a note telling him to stop investigating. So it really seems like they will, you know, they will get him. And then he goes to see Sidney Pollack, and Sidney Pollack's like, uh, I don't know if this will surprise you, but I was one of the guys at the orgy. I know, I know. I mean, you saw me with that sex worker not 24 hours earlier, but I needed to go to this orgy. I'm an old man. I'm making up for lost time. (laughs) I was the one with the suspenders and no shirt. (laughs) When you wear suspenders, your pants rub against your crotch. It gets you very aroused it's a thing but i also i love the scene because uh city pollock is great and he i love it because this movie is is so about like tom cruise tom cruise is just like complete uselessness and like uh even when he's like playing like investigator and like uncovering this conspiracy like he kind of gets hauled into like the principal's office and mm-hmm. <laughs> talked down to by Sidney Pollock and who basically like tells him like oh there was like we didn't even kill that person it's like yeah we roughed up Nick Nightingale and sent him home because you know he shouldn't have told you about uh our orgy like i i mean even even after all, he does all this sleuthing and it seems like things are getting so creepy he ultimately like can't even you know reach the climax of the movie like it's another like climax. moment of impotence for tom cruise so i i, I love that and sydney pollock is just so good he is yeah he's a very commanding actor was he's passed away yeah, and there's there's a number of directors in this movie too. The guy who plays Nick Nightingale is also a film director. Yeah, Todd Field. Yeah, and uh, he makes his movies sound kind of horny too. I wonder if that's why <laughs> Stanley Kubrick got him in there. <laughs> He's good too. Yeah. He's really good. Yeah, and I didn't recognize him, so uh, yeah, I looked up his, I looked him up, and I was like, yeah, he's a very good performer in that role. And then he, he, he goes back home and he tells Nicole Kidman about everything in a big sort of weeping mess. And, I mean, she's obviously hurt. Uh, 
And well, after they uncovering still have the to... mask, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, I yeah, that's right. It's not as if he came out with everything because he was feeling guilty. He was caught. That's what happened, you know. Shame on you, Tom Cruise. Though, I mean, it's not like he was caught. I, f- I feel like that's largely symbolic. It's not like you would find a mask and be like, oh, you must have been in one of those all-night orgies I heard about on 60 Minutes. Like, or doing I- Commedia dell'arte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were you pantaloni? Either one's a violation of our marriage. <laughs> I, I, I just saw that as like, you know, this this night he had is like inescapable. It's it's in his home. Mm. Like he he needs to confront it. I don't know. That it's from the book and it was written a hundred years ago. Who knows? But then they have to go Christmas shopping with their daughter and they have to play the happy family and it's a big question about whether or not they will be able to continue as a couple as a family and she's like uh yeah but we got to do one thing get <laughs> go see Counselor? oh no <laughs> okay right yeah that uh yeah the, the, the fantasy continues <laughs> the dream like is not over watching nicole kidman break up with tom cruise in real time in that scene though right kind of i mean there is that I, because I don't know exactly what the timeline is, but yeah, my Their history didn't last is much longer than this movie. Yeah, no. no, no. I feel like they got married for the marketing for this movie. I feel like they were like, yeah, let's let's do it for the movie. Well, wh- how long were they married for? No, no, they were married for a while. Before. They had two they kids, other movies together too, right? Like Days of yeah. Thunder, yeah, Far and Away. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, yeah, checks that, out. That was like this wasn't their first trip around yeah. the block. <laughs> yeah but yeah I, I i mean i i love that last scene i think that scene's really good and, and the scene before that like where it's right after he's told her the whole story and like she just looks like crap and she's you know smoking and i mean reacting like how any of us would react to hearing that story mm-hmm. condensed into <laughs> 20 minutes yeah She's, uh, she's expecting us to take her Christmas shopping today. Yeah. It's, uh, and they go Christmas shopping. Again, Christmas. There you go. And I, I, that's Enjoy where it. I think it is like a Christmas movie because it is about the family coming together at the end and choosing family over whatever else, you know, over this sort of ideal that you had of your marriage over you know the ideal of monogamy or whatever or or being over trust you know Mm -hmm. they decide you know we have to keep the family unit together which is i mean what christmas traditionally is kind of sort of about yeah something like that i mean no i mean this it's true the um like my mom worked in shelters and stuff and there's on uh for for teens and they always have beds at christmas because teens teens go home you know christmas does really bring people together although i think there's no go on oh that's a sadder christmas thing than the end of this christmas movie (laughs) yeah well i i I think there's something in this movie uh, 
Christmas, I think, plays into it in terms. I, I'm not. Sh- I'm not totally sure how I feel about how Christmas is represented in this movie because I think it's complicated. And in that scene, uh, when he comes home just before he sees the mask, he turns off the Christmas lights on the tree for the first mm. time. And I feel like that's significant. I, I I don't know if this is. I don't have a universal theory on what the the sort of Christmas lights represent. But if I were to guess, I'd say I I think they kind of represent a feeling or an idea of like home or of security. And I and I and just like a, a projected kind of like this is what you want your life or your home to be. Like we see it in so many of these places that are 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 you know, safe or, or friendly or, you know, I, I mean, they go to, when they go to Sydney Pollock's house the first time, like it's just covered in Christmas lights, like, but he's projecting so hard this, uh, you know, this vision of himself and, you know, it turns out to be this total dirt bag. But I, I mean, even like when he, when Tom Cruise goes to uh, the girl from Hocus's Pocus, is Hocus's Pocus, <laughs> Hocus Pocus, That's the, uh, the sex workers uh, apartment, like, he goes back to her apartment and she has like Christmas lights and it's, it, it becomes uh, quite intimate because in a big re- in a big way, because of those Christmas decorations, like not just the lights, but like the Christmas cards yeah. and the presents like stacked mm-hmm. in, in the sink. So I, I think there is something about like, you know, about creating this identity for yourself and this identity for yourself as like, you know, in terms of your home and like the space where you live. And, uh, and I think that moment where he turns off the Christmas lights and then sees that space violated by the mask kind of speaks to that. Again, I I, I don't know. I, I'm just trying to figure out how it all fits together. But uh, and again, like I said before, like there are no Christmas decorations in the orgy. Like that's a place where everyone is completely anonymous. There's no personality there. There's no projecting you know, who you are or, or who your family is or what you want to be. That's where people just go to have these like anonymous satanic orgies, uh, not to, uh, it's like Narnia all this winter and never Christmas. Right. <laughs> I kind of thought Christmas was sex. Mm. That it's all like, cause I feel like they, they sort of exist in the same way of this kind of like, and I think in a, I mean, a way especially bringing up sort of the, the Christmas shopping, which, is not what I would ever call Christmas shopping. Like they're just taking their child to look at a store for things that she wants mm-hmm. for later, right? Like they're, they're just not going to like buying FAO Schwartz. Yeah. They're not actually buying anything. They're just like looking for things that they want. Well, I think it is for Christmas because she says like, oh, I want Santa to bring me one of these. And it's like, oh, okay. totally. and I think that's what parents do. Because I remember my parents used to take me to like Toys R Us to like look for what Santa, mm-hmm. what I wanted Santa to bring. And I'd go and be like, I want this. And they're like, you sure? And like, yeah. And then we'd all get in the Eyes car. Eyes wide like, shut. Oh, you're, you're da- yeah, no. And then they'd be like, oh, your dad has to use the bathroom. And my dad would go back in. And I realized later that he was going to buy the toy <laughs> so he didn't have to make a second trip. Like, so I think But I think in a way, a using like a child's um, desire for Christmas presents is kind of this like perfect metaphor for the way that sex works in this movie, where it's all about anticipation mm. and want. And mm. that the actual result is often like not as good as the buildup or even mm. not existent. Like you didn't get the thing that you asked for. And even just like chronologically, this film's relationship to Christmas, I find super confusing where it seems always on the brink of Christmas, but no one ever locates, like no one ever says like, it's Christmas. Santa Eve never tomorrow. comes. Yeah. 
it's true. <laughs> like even by the end that was of the a movie, double entendre. <laughs> it's like it's like it's Christmas next week. Is it tomorrow? Like it's never it's never Christmas in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's always like Christmas season. It's never the day. What a nightmare! Yeah, it's the happiest place I could imagine. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's also the same scene where their daughter gets secretly kidnapped. Did you guys notice that? Okay, that's another thing we should talk about. Is there are a lot of conspiracy theories uh, about, about a Kubrick, movie, which movie? we'll talk about. Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that and more after this break. We'll be right back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, we're back. We're talking about Eyes Wide Shut here on Rewatchability, the the holiday favorite. One thing I forgot to mention at the top of the show is uh, I wanted to thank all of our Patreon donors. Those are the people that uh, give a few bucks a month to help keep uh, the Christmas lights on all the time. <laughs> Except when we're having the orgy. <laughs> yeah, turn them we, we take them yeah. away. So Eyes Wide Shut, I didn't really prepare any proper trivia questions for you guys, but you also seem to not know a lot about this movie because you haven't seen it, uh, Blaine and Rob. Johnny, I don't know if you'll know this, but uh, I avoided talking about some some things uh, when Rob was doing his rundown uh, so I could ask you about it. Do you know who played Sidney Pollack's original, part originally? Because Kubrick famously does a ton of reshoots, so there were a few actors that... Uh, didn't come back for reshoots that he had to recast. So, uh, Sidney Pollack, who, who do you think played his part originally? Oh my God. I do. Or like, I did know this because they like, even like, didn't he like shot it with somebody else in that role and somebody else as the woman whose father died. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I can't remember who either of them are, but they're other David. notable actors. <laughs> Schwimmer. <laughs> They're big actors. I, big I saw it on the IMDb, and I think even though I saw it that way, I should get the, the points. Okay. Who is it, Rob? It's Harvey Keitel. That's right. And do you know who played the woman who's married to Greg? Harvey no, Keitel again. <laughs> it's Harvey Keitel again. It's not again. Jenna Elfman. <laughs> uh, no, it's... Uh, do, you, do you remember, Johnny? I don't. Again, I don't. Okay, it's Jennifer Jason Oh, Lee. right, yeah, and she had to... This is what I read in the IMDb, so it's not as if I'm pulling this from my memory, except for my memory from, like, 30 minutes Short-term ago. Short-term memory, yeah. Yeah, but she <laughs> had to leave to do Existence, the David Cronenberg That's right, yeah, movie. yeah, exactly. Which I love, but also, too bad she's not in this movie. Mm. I, I was also, when I was listening to that Alan Cumming thing, he was talking about how... He didn't know if he'd be in the finished movie because they asked him to come back for reshoots and he couldn't do it. And he said he was friends with Jennifer Jason Lee, who he who he knew had been cut out and replaced. So he thought the same thing happened to him. But no, they kept they kept the Alan Cumming scene, even though he didn't come back. <laughs> and Sidney Pollack, incidentally, was replaced. It's funny because he Sidney Pollack had recommended Tom Cruise to. 
Kubrick, like years before they made this movie, I think when Kubrick was wondering about who to cast, he asked Sidney Pollack, who directed Tom Cruise and the firm, about working with them. And Sidney Pollack said, you know, he's really great to work with. And then when it came time to replacing Harvey Keitel, uh, Tom Cruise recommended Sidney Pollack. Wow. Nice. One good turn. One thing I've always thought was uh, interesting is so Kubrick tried to make this movie for years. He bought the rights in like 1970 or something. (laughs) And I remember reading that like (laughs) he was going to make it like a year or two after getting married for the first time, but it's all about like, you know, marriage and jealousy. And his wife was like, maybe just wait a few years until we've been married a little longer before you make destroy this. someone's uh, else marriage with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but at one point in like the seventies, he was going to make this as kind of like an absurd art house movie starring, uh, not Sidney Pollack, but another famous director, Steven Spielberg. Do you know who that was? Yeah. No. Woody Allen. Yes, oh. was Woody Allen. Wow. <laughs> His second choice was Roman Plank. <laughs> no, that, that part's not true. But it, yeah, Woody Allen, can you imagine that version? <laughs> Amazing. I, yeah. I have a weird piece of trivia about this movie. Okay. Um, okay, so I feel like one of the sort of interesting, I think, parts of, of the film, you know, you, you have the whole orgy masked sequence, And because of the masks, I feel like there are certain questions that you have, especially when Sidney Pollack comes up later, and it's like, oh, he says he was there. Is it possible that he was the master of ceremonies? Is it possible that that person who nods to him from from the balcony was him recognizing him? And then also, there's the whole mystery throughout the film of sort of like, okay, so there's that woman who recognizes him. We assume it's probably Mandy. By the end of the movie, he, he's sort of like, was that Mandy? And Sidney Pollock's like, yeah, it totally was. And then it comes up, if you look at the credits for the movie, one person is listed as Mandy and one person is credited as Mystery Woman. It is not the same actor playing <gasps> those two roles. No. Uh, and no, I feel like which is a very notable choice because in both sequences in every sequence in the morgue in the bathroom and at the orgy she's naked she's completely nude and the camera is just looking at her body non-stop it's not the same body so Mm -hmm. it feels pretty intentional to use a different actor beyond that it is not the actor who provides the body of the mystery woman who provides the voice of the mystery woman. So you may and notice this I do know, yeah. That it's that the the there's there and there is something very I think dreamy about every time the mystery woman speaks. And it was in fact recorded later. And who is the voice of the mystery woman? Do you know this JM? I I do. Oh, yeah. Okay. I also saw it on the IMDb trivia. I go into this fresh, <laughs> naked as the day I was born. Uh, <laughs> this was a fairly recent revelation, mm-hmm. too. I, I kept this quiet for a while. Until last year. Mm. Tippy Hedren. Who was it? <laughs> it was Kate Blanchett. <laughs> oh, cool. I like wow. Her. 
Yeah, you can totally tell it's her too. Like she does sound like Kate Blanchett when you mm-hmm. watch it. Mm. Yeah, nice. it's, it's a very striking and notable voice. That's a good. That's a good piece of trivia, Johnny. It's not the voice uh, that you sort of hear like mumbling out of Mandy in her earlier scene at all. Yeah, yeah. There's kind of an interesting the- disunity there. Maybe that's part of like the dream thing, and like there's like an interchangeability of. I mean, all the women in this movie are sort of interchangeable in a way, and they're also vaguely, vaguely resemble Nicole Kidman, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that, th- that, uh, not, not quite as, uh, I mean, it was more overtly surreal, but like in Benoel's last film, he cast two women to play the same part and then overdubbed them with a third. So it's not, you know, without some precedent. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to say about the theory about Ziegler being the guy in the red suit, who's kind of like the ringleader. That theory, I think, stems from the fact that when uh, Sidney Pollack is talking to Tom Cruise in the billiards room, he kind of like taps the billiard ball against the table two times in, in the same way that the man with the gold mask and the red cloak taps his like staff or whatever during that weird ritual mm. when Tom Cruise first gets there. So I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I, I kind of see him more as like the, the other guy you mentioned, the guy with like the tricorn yeah. hat, if anything. And the guy who plays uh, the guy with the red cloak and the gold mask uh, is uh, Leon Vitale who they just made a documentary about a few years ago, who is Kubrick's uh, longtime assistant. And I mean, assistant is, uh, you know, not, it's an understatement, I guess, because he did a a lot of work on these movies. He's like, he gets a credit right at the top uh, at the end credits. I don't know if you noticed that Uh, because he did so much, not just during the making of the movie, but once Kubrick died, he was tasked with doing a lot of stuff to finish the post-production of the movie because it wasn't quite finished. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he, yeah. And he was an actor. So like he met Kubrick making Barry Lyndon. He was like an up and coming actor who, if you watch the documentary film worker, it's, it's great because it talks about how he just became kind of infatuated with the filmmaking process and wanted to work with Kubrick and, uh, and kind of got drawn into this, uh, you know, this obsessive hard to deal with person's life and career, but he, you know, contributed so much to the work. And then it's nice that uh, after doing all of that work and kind of giving up his promising acting career that he got this, uh, juicy part in the end to 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 play that character i think he actually said he's like he's like four or five of the people in cloaks <laughs> in that scene that's funny. uh but yeah that's uh so i don't know if i totally buy that theory there are a lot of crazy conspiracy theories uh about this movie like i was mentioning uh, the one i i alluded to before the commercial break was people say they see Two of the extras in the toy store scene at the end are extras who were also in the party scene at the beginning. Okay. And the the simplest explanation to that would be that they merely yeah. reuse the same extras. That doesn't when happen. The movie. Uh, <laughs> some people think that uh, Tom Cruise is still being followed by uh, Ziegler's people, and that when Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman are 
have that kind of long scene where it's, you know, just close ups of the two of them and you don't see their daughter for a long time. Their daughter is being kidnapped by those, uh, you know, those goons that run those cults and, you know, being, uh, you know, scooped up for some kind of child sex ring. That's the other thing is this whole, uh, there's also like a whole faction of, of people that believe that, uh, uh, you know, like the Pizzagate people, uh, believe that this movie was like a, I mean, some people think that Stanley Kubrick was killed because of this movie and and because of 24 extra minutes that were cut out of the movie for the theatrical. Not because of the moon landing. (laughs) No, (laughs) he's he's skated by on that one. But it was the 24 minutes of Eyes Wide Shut that uh, that were cut out that I guess were more explicit in like incriminating certain people. I mean, I'd like to tell you that Jeffrey Epstein isn't involved, but there is also like a conspiracy (laughs) involving uh, the guy who wrote broke the news of Epstein's death is like the guy who wrote the New York post article in this movie, uh, that, uh, that Why? talks about the beauty queen who died. I mean, it, there's no end to the conspiracy in this, in this movie, but I, I would like to say in terms of like, the, they killed Kubrick over it. Like from all accounts, he was in poor health while making this, like he was old. It was exhausting. Uh, he was like on supplemental oxygen and refused to go to a doctor. So I don't think it was the work of an assassin (laughs) or the assassin Uh, didn't have to work very hard. (laughs) An assassin called time. Yeah. (laughs) The assassin of us all. Uh, my uh, my personal favorite conspiracy theory about this movie, though, is because uh, you guys know, like this, the shooting of this movie went on for like a crazy long time. Like we said, they replaced actors with scenes that were already shot just because they couldn't go come back and do reshoots. You know, there's a famous story of like Tom Cruise had to come through a door a hundred times, <laughs> like you know, because he was a perfectionist and he was always tinkering with his stuff. But there, uh, I did read a theory. I can't remember where it was, but uh, well, this is true that. Kubrick's daughter Vivian became a Scientologist and cut off her whole family and now I think she's become like a real like alt-right like Alex Jones supporter type person Mm. yeah but uh, but at the time she joined Scientology and now I've later learned that the family may have found out about that after the making of Eyes Wide Shut but I remember reading a theory that because that was around the time it was happening not that Tom Cruise had anything to do with it but that because it was happening simultaneously, Kubrick was punishing Tom Cruise with all of these excessive takes <laughs> that's uh, funny. because he was so associated with the church. So that's why they had him like on a treadmill walking in front of a rear projection screen for like weeks on end. Just <laughs> <laughs> some kind of punishment for his daughter joining Scientology. Um, wow. Anyways. That's a fun one. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that's that. I have, I have a weird trivia question for you guys. I don't know if you'll be able to get this. But the book that this is based off of is by a guy named Arthur Schnitzler, who his other best known work, can you guys name his, his other best known work? La Ronde. Holy shit. It is. It's my literal (laughs) last name. (laughs) Whoa. And it's also a crazy horny play. (laughs) All of his Mm -hmm. plays are like super horny. We know where you get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was adapted into that play, The Blue Room, starring Nicole Kidman Whoa. on Broadway. Whoa. That was that that everyone. Do you remember everyone wanted to like buy tickets to specific seats because she was fully nude in that play? And right. It was like, from seat 
G13. You can see your derriere, man. Like it was, it, Just watch Eyes Wide you know. Shut. Way to bring us full circle or La Ronde. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it is funny to look at the book, though, like the original book, because it was, it's very, uh, you know, kind of like of its time and kind of stilted and very dated. But it's it's the movie, like the flow of the book, like the arrangement of scenes and the events that play out are are the movie. That's what's so funny about people that are like the Illuminati had Kubrick killed. It's like uh, he's wrote it or he based it on a book that came out eighty years before. Like, <laughs> It's all there. Like it's it's funny how close an adaptation it actually is. Mm. Did you you've read the book? Yeah, I read it uh in high school. <laughs> Just part of your like, say <laughs> part of your exploration of erotic fiction. <laughs> We're all just... no, I I read it because of the movie because well they sold a uh they sold like a paperback that was like uh I think it was like half the screenplay and half uh, the original. It's very short. It's a novella. Right. So, uh, mm. yeah. <laughs> uh, and there was also a book, I remember I also read in high school, the co-writer of the movie, Frederick Raphael, um, my favorite of the Ninja Turtles, uh, wrote a book about his time make, writing this with Kubrick. And he kind of painted him in a negative light at sometimes. And I, I know like the Kubrick family really came out uh, against the book. And he, he presented like a lot of conversations between the two as just like straight up screenplay dialogue conversations that, you know, he would have no way of knowing unless he recorded the conversations, which I don't think he did. So I, I the accuracy of the book was certainly debated, but I mean, it's it's interesting to read to at least get one of the co-writers' uh, kind of creative accounts of of what went into making it. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Nice. But you guys didn't like this movie, or Blaine didn't. I mean, I I, I get it. I I get it. <laughs> what specifically didn't you like? Well, if we're gonna do the whole, let's go around the table and say if it's rewatchable or not. I I just I felt that I can buy into the dream logic. There's a lot of dream logic-y movies out there but this felt like it had a foot in reality or was trying to um and it it was just so strange at times that it, instead of sucking me in it kind of pushed me out um so many jokes to be made here off of these mm-hmm. horrible words i'm using um but the like i just yeah i just felt like it was it was alienating and I, I couldn't, I couldn't get into it. And I like Stanley Cooper's other movies. Like when the shining does it, I'm like, Oh my God, that's great because it's a horror movie. And it's, but this didn't feel like that. It, it felt like it was confused as to what it wanted to be. Um, that it was striking out at certain times to do these things that didn't really, um, come together for me. And the fact that just, it was a long movie to begin with. And then everyone like Tom Cruise repeated every line that everyone said to him. <laughs> uh, I was like, he repeated Shh. every line that everyone said to him. Yeah. Yeah. Put a bullet. He repeated every <laughs> line that everyone said to him. <laughs> and so there was, there was times where, you know, uh, yeah. Like Johnny, you, you watched this with your husband and he, he brought the phone out. You, you told me, and I was like, yeah, I was like itching at my pocket, being like, "I want to go on Reddit." Like it was, it was hard to get through for me. So maybe I wasn't the right frame of mind for it. 
or I think it also helps to watch uh, theatrically. To be honest, like I mean, it's a movie sure. you have to kind of fall into the rhythm of, I, I, and I think that's a big reason. Like, I don't think you're alone. I think that's a big reason why people didn't like it when it came out because it is slow, it is odd. But I think like if you can kind of get on its wavelength, like it becomes very hypnotic. And I think like like those weird dialogue beats you're talking about, like are a part of that. Like it's it's the pace, it's the the uh, but it did, the rhythm, but it never and it's quite the uniform to me you know they they dipped in and out of it and there were certain actors like um uh you know director suspenders over there that like acted really <laughs> like naturalistically i felt i felt like he he did a great job and then the um sex worker's friend who was also a sex worker you know uh she she acted very naturalistically um there was like a, a lot of parts that i felt were like oh this is something else this is from another movie that's put into this and and so the it just felt. But I think that works with dreams, though. That that's what dreams are like. It's like you something will be super crazy or weird, but you don't feel like you're in a dream in it in the moment. Like some moments of dreams can feel very real. Totally, but yeah, but there's no cohesiveness to it. And 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 in terms of like dream logic, like he he it, it felt video game ish at a time where he was sent on these side quests to do these things like you have to return the jacket now and he'd go mm-hmm. to the, the jacket and they like well, he had to return to press, the jacket hey, now i need to press the number to do this and i need to get this and that and um and that all was very very logical and there was no dream logic to to the to the um a shoe leather between scenes which i would assume would be in a movie that's about dream logic where he kind of like shows up at a place and you're not sure how he got there, but he's there. Um, You know, there's so many different elements to a movie and the dreams, the dream logic was in certain elements, but not others. So that just made me very, it it pulled me out. Uh, Yeah. uh, That's, that's kind of where, so I don't personally, I don't think it's that rewatchable and I'll probably never see it again. Um, but uh, but I think you should see. I think it. I think it is one of those movies that you might get a lot from on a second viewing. Yes, watch Maybe it after I an orgy. Would. <laughs> <laughs> I might smoke some weed. What was it? Sativa? I should smoke instead of. Just go uh, into Nicole Kidman's medicine or? cabinet. Open up the band aid. <laughs> I don't want to take what she was town. taking. I don't want to. I'll get so angry. It'll be awful. <laughs> no, no. Um, but uh, what about you, Rob? You hadn't seen it before. What did you think about this movie? Yeah. Do you think it's rewatchable? I mean, I have to admit, I didn't love it watching it this time. I think that there's a lot that I didn't really get. And I think, personally, JM saying like that it has its dreamlike or it's supposed to be dreamlike, that sort of keyed in a lot for me. Like, yeah, like some of the choices that are made in the performance feel dreamlike. Some of the logic in the plot is dreamlike. And even like the way that everybody comes on to Tom Cruise is dreamlike, though I that might happen, I guess, maybe in real life. He is a movie star. But <laughs> I, for me, I think it's a really interesting movie. There's not... I don't understand everything, but I do know that I like movies about you know, strained relationships. And I feel like Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise's characters are sort of interesting. And I think that it's a, it's a sort of, it's an interesting journey that his character takes. And, you know, it's sort of like, 
it's sort of like a journey into like the grimy part of our soul, I guess, because it's a bit of a fantasy about being a bad person, you know, where you go to an orgy and, you know, go to a prostitute and your wife's at home, you know, watching your kid, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I I didn't love it, but I would definitely rewatch it again, and I'm sure that I would get something else from it. It's weird. It's stilted. There are parts that I don't think that I understand, but I think it all sort of adds up to something that is interesting, at least for me. Um, so I, I think I would probably want to watch it again to get a better handle on it. What about you? Uh, what about you, Johnny? It's uh, I feel like it's a really complicated one for me. I, I was very interested to watch it again, having seen it before, partly just to get through all of the context around the movie, because I just feel like there's so much baggage that it brings to it like being this movie that like Kubrick dies as he's cutting and the legacy of that being this thing that was this like document of Tom and Nicole at sort of nearing the end of their marriage that it promised us through the marketing campaign this erotic thriller that it was going to be like their body heat or something and then it just (laughs) so absolutely wasn't that And people were so mad at it. And I think partly because, like, they wanted to see Tom and Nicole bang. Did I say Tom and Nicole? Um, (laughs) You wanted to see them bang and you didn't get it. What a bone That was really frustrating for people. And, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, it's got all this baggage. And I was like, what is the movie underneath all of that and there there is something really interesting to it i mean i think like all of kubrick's movies like there's so much intentionality and you know that you know he's going to recast actors after principal photography is done and he's gonna make people do a million takes and that you're sort of like yeah if those extras were in the very first and the very last scene of the movie that doesn't seem like something a person like that would sign off on unintentionally and it's interesting and even all of the sort of the ambiguity around the mystery woman and the various different performers playing her is intriguing to me and then and 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 you're sort of like the story that Sidney Pollack tells Tom Cruise you're like is Nick Nightingale alive and in Seattle or is he totally like dead at the bottom of the river at the end of this movie? Like we really don't know. And either could be true. Was the mystery woman, even Mandy? I don't know. Maybe it was a whole other woman. Like maybe it was it, it that that's all kind of fascinating to me. And there was, and I don't know, like the, the music. Oh, the music. The music is very hypnotic. Oh. Mm-hmm. The even just I feel like the fact that it was not actually filmed on location at all. And there's <sighs> this kind of staginess to this New York, this kind of falseness and emptiness to it that gives you this sense of unease. And I mean the masked orgy sequence, I feel like is just so iconic. It's such a part of culture. It's become like people say eyes wide shut if they mean, you know, 
that <laughs> need, that's become just like a byword yeah. for like masked kinky rich people thing, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you say you're having an eyes wide par- shot party, you're having an orgy. You know, bring your cloak, yeah, bring yeah. your mask. And it's been parodied. It's everybody. Even if you haven't seen the movie, you know what that is. Like it's it's so embedded in pop culture. Um, oh, it's even just like not even parodied. Like uh, movies take from it all the time. Like what, what was the last uh, Daniel Craig James Bond movie? Had a whole sequence that that just totally cribbed shots the, from the Lovebirds too. Just did that as well. And the well, I mean, that was more parody, yeah, was a, but yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, it's still being parody. Is what I'm saying. I think that like what's hard for me though is that like even I'm so fascinated by this movie. But I want to, I really want to love it. I want it to be this total, like, unappreciated gem. And I don't know that I do totally love it. And especially, I found on a rewatch, there were parts of it that kind of stuck out like sore thumbs to me. Whereas, like, some of these Nicole Kidman monologues are, (laughs) like, really kind of borderline embarrassing to me. Like, I just feel like, and I don't think it's, I think she's an amazing actor. And I think she is doing exactly to a T what she has been directed to do. I don't know that all of those choices are doing her any favors. <laughs> There's things like the, all of the stuff going on with Lily Sobieski as like a, an underage sex worker whose father's in on it. And I would say like what we can pretty much call like a racist portrayal of Asian men who are into underage girls and cross-dressing that I was like, this <laughs> mm-hmm. feels extremely tasteless mm. and I and, and kind of gross. The kind of the body fascism of the movie and, and the, the sexism of the movie that it's like all about sex and we really just see the exact same body type over and over again and it's always a woman and she's always naked and they feel completely interchangeable. And then even like finally, when the 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 master ceremonies is like Tom Cruise, you need to get naked now, and you're sort of like, this movie did like he should. This movie deserves for Tom Cruise to be fully naked right now. And then they're like, no, 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 a naked woman is going to put a stop to this. And it's like, oh god damn it! Like it's just <laughs> the same thing that you're giving us over and over and over again in this movie. And and then there's just, I don't know. And, and I feel like there's also like the representation of queer people in the movie feels like it was like, I bet it felt so transgressive in 1999 to like have Tom Cruise be gay bashed and to have like a couple of like men dancing with men at the orgy. And like, it was literally like one man dancing with a man, one woman dancing with a woman. <laughs> and sort of like, oh yeah. And that's as freaky as these rich fucks get. Otherwise <laughs> it's just missionary sex and masks with people who look exactly the same. Like, I don't know. It's like, have you ever like been to an orgy? There's more shit than this going on <laughs> at those kind of events. Even if you're poor. Let alone yeah. if you're like these rich people running the planet. Yeah, I honestly I don't know how that doesn't get boring after eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then even just the whole setup of like this huge sort of personal crisis over the reveal that your wife thought about having sex with somebody else one time, yeah. even just like within cinema i think it's just like we've all seen movies from like british and from european directors 
from decades earlier that I feel like sorted this out and went so much further in terms of like sexual content insert in terms of being like, yeah, like this whole like heteronormativity and monogamy is kind of bullshit. And this whole story that you've been sold is a lie. And then it just seems like it's so shocking for these people. And just like the crazy havoc that it wreaks is just like, Oh, like the straights are, are not okay. <laughs> They're not okay. But I think it also is like, I think it is also more powerful in this movie or more significant in this movie than, uh, some of the other things we've seen in the past, partly because of the iconography we've been talking about of, of it being Tom yeah. Cruise and Nicole Kidman, like Hollywood's it couple, like having this like existential crisis uh, over the relationship. I, I, I don't think is insignificant. This was the end of marriage in America. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's made at the end of the erotic thriller. Well, that's yeah. definitely. Yeah. Sure. I also, yeah, the, oh, totally. the moment where Domino's roommates reveals to Tom Cruise that she's had a blood test and is HIV positive is almost, Mm -hmm. I I found watching that moment in this year, it rubbed me so the wrong way. And I was just like, I don't fucking buy for a second that this like woman who's like, they're both sex workers, they're friends. She has just found out her roommate's HIV status. And she's going to just like, casually let it slip to some john like no fucking way but i, mean, I also it, felt like yeah the, the reactions to that were so weird too i guess that feeds into the dream logic it book, only but. works in the context of dream logic and of the idea that like what we're seeing is the sexual fears and fantasies of this extremely privileged straight white man and like his his that it's just like oh my god what if you had sex and your wife found out what if your wife had sex yeah. with someone else? What if you had sex and you got HIV? What if someone thought you were gay and they beat you up? Like, it's just... All it's of part these... of, like, the nightmare. It's not really... It doesn't reflect reality at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will say in terms of, like, like the privilege of it, I, I, I am so sick of movies and TV shows about, like, super rich Manhattan white people, uh, you know, living their best lives, but having some small problem that they need to deal with. But I think here it is very intentional because like the, the sort of problems that uh, our characters having are, (laughs) are so abstract and like insubstantial. Like he, he's having a crisis over like just an abstract thought his wife had nothing she's actually done. Like I, (laughs) I I remember I listened to an interview that, uh, Kubrick's, uh, wife, uh, Christiane gave, and I saw, I actually saw her introduce eyes wide shut a few years ago too. She talked about how like that was very purposeful because like it was important for them to start the movie with this couple having essentially no problems. Like they're good looking, they have all the money in the world and they seem to be happy. And they're even like basically both propositioned at that party they go to and like refuse to do anything about it. So they're like essentially like happily monogamous, like, but they don't have governance over each other's thoughts or desires or yeah, like inner lives. And that's what kind of, sends Tom Cruise spiraling out of control. And so I think that it it's not a story that you see done that much. And I think it is almost about like the, uh, I, I, I think it's about uh, like the sort of uh, 
impotence and uh, embarrassing qualities of like the the straight white rich movie star like characters than we see in movies like the Tom Cruise character is ineffective for the entire movie and like his moment of you know he ends the movie basically crying in his wife's arms because he did a bunch of stupid shit for <laughs> almost no reason like I, I don't know I think that's what the movie is supposed to be it's almost like a deconstruction of that character yeah it's uh, I, I mean it's funny like there was a, there was a lot about the movie that, that I, I was like I feel the criticisms of this and it and I I don't I'm not fully in love with this movie but I do feel I could see myself watching it again and I, I was sort of reminded of something that there was um, a, a documentary about another uh, failed '90s erotic thriller, Showgirls, where one of the things they said in it was like, "Oh, we still watch this movie because we're not done with it yet." And this feels like another movie where I'm like, "Oh yeah, I don't know if I'm like totally done with this movie." Mm-hmm. But that said, I think for me, it is super overshadowed in my imagination by a movie like Mulholland Drive which I think goes to so many of the same places as this movie, but has such a more fun time doing it. And that it's like, you want to go to like a weird club with a kind of (laughs) Italian secret password. (laughs) We've got it. (laughs) But you will not be bored for a second. Yeah, no one does also dream logic like David Lynch, obviously. Yeah, that it's like, if I want dream logic, give me, like, the dumpster man and the blue box and the cowboy Oh my god, the dumpster man. The dumpster man was a woman. Dumpster woman! I could never get a boner again. It's the same woman who plays, uh, like, the nun in the Conjuring movies. Oh! Fun fact. Yeah. Fun fact. All right, so mildly rewatchable for you guys. Blaine hates this movie and will never watch it again. Uh, I, however, think it's a masterpiece, and uh, I love it, and I hate you guys. Uh, we said there was no, something th- to you know, it. No, I know. I, I, I also just I, 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 you know, a lot of these podcasts we talk about dumb movies and kind of dunk on them, but this is one of my favorite movies, so I feel like I do need to talk about it seriously. And and one thing we haven't mentioned is like the colors of this movie, and like the way it's shot and the way it's the the images are composed. I just think uh, are so beautiful and 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 so purposeful and uh, and I, I just love the look of this film and the feel of this film and the uh, the intimacy of so many scenes, even in scenes that are being played very like off the wall and theatrical at times, but then. I think they're almost more more powerful because they can like change gears to like the most like raw, intimate moments you've seen captured in movies. I mean, some of these scenes, uh, you know, Kubrick operated the camera and it was just like, you know, a crew of three or four people. Like it's, it's a movie that's, uh, I mean, it's cliche to say they don't make movies like this anymore, but I think it's, it's a uniquely Kubrick movie. It's, it's a unique, uh, drama. You don't see this kind of movie aiming to explore adult themes in this way. Like it's just, I mean, even like the erotic thriller, like the nineties erotic thriller, (laughs) which, which we kind of mentioned, uh, is a, is a genre that sadly is gone. I was, someone on a podcast was just talking about how, uh, that there was like a theory that basically like the nineties erotic thriller was killed by like 
the internet and like the proliferation of internet porn. That makes sense. Uh, and I think there's something to that. And I think this movie is almost like the uh, the tail end of that, like almost like the, the big finale to that. Because, you know, uh, it's funny to watch it now in 2020 because like a lot of what made it so taboo or so controversial is very tame now. Like the orgy scenes, like that were <laughs> so scandalous. They had to literally CG people in front of them. Like those could be playing out in the background of a game of Thrones 100%. scene while like a villain gives a monologue. Uh, but I, I mean, there's still something that's why, you know, the craft of it is so important because it, it puts you into those uh, places and and into those moments and makes you feel the unease of them. I, I don't know. It's just a movie, you know. I put it on in 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 the basement here. I've got a projector and a and a big screen. And I was gonna I was watching it late. And I was gonna just watch half of it down here and then watch the rest on like my iPad in bed. Even though that seemed kind of sacrilegious for a, a Kubrick movie, but I still couldn't turn it off. I just like I got hypnotized by it. I got locked into it, and I was under the movie spell. And I stayed up late and watched the whole thing uh, down in the basement. And yeah, I don't know. There's it's just a unique movie, and I love it. And it, I know it has flaws. I'm not gonna say it doesn't have flaws. Uh, one of the biggest flaws is like. Uh, I don't know why the secret orgy people don't just get a CD player. Uh, oh, oh man. Their whole... <laughs> when Nick Nightingale is like, you know, scoring his friend's potential death, it's like, gong, gong, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> no, I don't think he's there for that. I think he's already been discovered. Oh, okay. But yeah, like, I mean, just get that, those like weird synthesizer tones on like a MP3 player yeah. or something. Put on an Aphex uh, Twin CD or whatever. Well, somebody needed to have their eyes wide shut. That's true. You know, I went, you know that band Ghost? Yeah. It become pretty big. My brother-in-law's band was opening for them once, so I went to their show, and uh, their, like, intro music before they came out and took the stage was the <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut Nick Nightingale music. Wow. Just like that, like, you know, that kind of thing. So That's pretty I mean, metal. Yeah, this movie, movie had a pretty, yeah. <laughs> This movie had a huge pop cultural footprint, and uh, I, I implore Blaine to return to it someday, maybe next Christmas. Um, and, you know, put your phone away, you know, dim the lights, just try to... Uh, get your try, cloak, try, try, get your mask. And, yeah. and get to the uh, end of the rainbow. Yeah. Well, sometimes <laughs> we don't get what we want at Christmas. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> nah, I'll probably try. I'll probably try again. Is Somebody. it a whole movie right. about trying to recreate the feeling of that one shot from The Shining, where like Rolf from the Muppets is giving a blowjob to that fox? <laughs> and does it ever quite get there? No, but it's a valiant effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I there was one. You know, I I don't know if I ever noticed this before, but like, there's one shot where when Tom Cruise goes out and it cuts back, he's at work, and it cuts back to Nicole Kidman and their daughter, and she's like smoking in the kitchen, and they're watching uh, Chuck Jones cartoon. They're watching The Grinch on the little TV, and it's literally like the same scene as The Shining. Like it's crazy. Mm. Like that must have been intentional. Oh yeah, she's I like. Drinking milk and smoking cigarettes and eating like Drake's cakes. Yes, yes. <laughs> She's got to get a new job, you know. I think <laughs> that character seems really depressed. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's our podcast for this week. Uh, Johnny, thank you so much for coming and suggesting this movie. Thanks, man. Always a play. You've, you've saved Christmas. For once. <laughs> um, did you have anything you wanted to plug or promote? Just uh, quarantining? Oh, uh, no, I might actually have a thing, depending on when this drops. Next Wednesday. The 16th? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yes. Okay. Then tomorrow night, by then, I'm going to be co-hosting a uh, boylesque show called oh. uh, Stay Homo for the Holidays, colon, butts, <laughs> actually. And I will be in, in character as Anne with a D. Um <laughs> Serving up a holiday special full full of, of lighthearted mirth and uh, a lot of butts. And uh, wow. <laughs> it's going to be happening over Zoom. Uh, you can find out about it if you uh, look up BoyLastTO on Instagram or Facebook. Somebody should do a bit about Nicole or tribute to Nicole Kidman's butt in Eyes Wide Shut in your show. That's what I'm. I, I would suggest that. I mm. think you know Eyes Wide. could be something. Butt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and that was another news story that came out recently too. Is someone asked Nicole Kidman about this movie, and she said that Kubrick gave her final cut over all of her nude scenes. Yeah. That's yeah. Nice. I mean, that's good. It's good that yeah. like. Because I know that Stanley Kubrick wasn't so good with uh, Lady from The Shining, you know. Yeah, I wonder it's good if that he wasn't a total douchebag this, this time. Movie had the same thing, <laughs> likely not. Well, I actually the the women that were the in the orgy scene uh, all said they felt uh, really good about it too, That's and good. Uh, and. Apparently, like they rehearsed a lot, but that rehearsal just made everybody like super comfortable with the whole thing. I've read a lot about this movie, you guys. <laughs> Keep going. I guess if you're wearing uh, a full mask, maybe it's a bit like, yeah, whatever. That's true. Yeah, I'll do anything on film in a mask. Uh, <laughs> and maybe that's a good point to mention our email, rewatchability at gmail.com. You could find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash rewatchability. Or sorry, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash rewatchability, and on Twitter at rewatchability. And until then, what's the password, Rob? Uh, Game Boy. (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.